the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The joy of the Lord. Next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Here in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20, Jesus commissions 72 of his disciples to go out, to cast demons out, to heal, and to preach the good news. They come back with great stories to tell, and Jesus is filled with excitement, filled with joy. And that's what we're seeing here in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We're looking at the joy of the Lord. Here now is Pastor Gary with today's broadcast. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that this text we are considering today contains some of the most profound truths found in the entirety of the Bible. But instead of being presented in some kind of academic or scholastic ways, these truths show us the meaning of joy and how it relates to our discipleship in Christ, and how it relates to our own personal relationship with God. The main point of our text, among other things, is that the Christian life is one of joy, of continual rejoicing. The church, my friends, is a fellowship of joy. The Christian worldview is joyful, and for one reason, And that is because Jesus is our joyful Lord and Savior. Now let's see how our text makes this point. Look first of all at verses 17 through 20. Now we talked about these verses last week. Jesus sent out 70 preachers into a dangerous world to preach the gospel. And they came back thrilled, rejoicing, happy that their preaching mission was a great success. They saw people saved. They saw demons subdued. They saw evil pushed back. And they came to Jesus with great joy. Now right off the bat, that's a tremendous statement in itself to say that all of the 70 preachers came back to Jesus rejoicing because remember how they were sent out as lambs among wolves? They were sent into a dangerous world. They had every reason to be terrified and depressed and discouraged and intimidated. But instead of any of these experiences, they came back rejoicing. Their lives full of joy in this world full of wolves. Why? What was it that caused such great joy among them? Well, first of all, their mission was successful. They saw demons defeated. They saw evil pushed back and conquered through the preaching of the Word of God. But more than that, they were told by the Lord that their names were enrolled in heaven. 
They could be certain that their salvation was sure because they were faithful in their mission. Because they saw God work through them and accomplishing great things. Because they were confident and their salvation was certain and unlosable. Their lives were full of joy. So I stop before going any further and ask you, does joy describe your life? Not just Sunday. I'm talking about Monday through Saturday as well. Does joy truly describe your life? Is your life one of continual rejoicing or one of continual despair, discouragement, anxiety, boredom? These 70 disciples had every reason to be anxious, and yet because they knew God was using them, they knew their salvation was certain and their lives were full of joy. But this passage also speaks of Jesus' joy. Look at verses 21 and 22. At that very time, when the 70 come back, He, Jesus, rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that Thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in Thy sight. All things have been handed to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Now that's an amazing statement for Jesus to rejoice in the light of the fact that this whole section of Luke is a description of Jesus resolutely setting His face to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because he knew he was going to suffer and die. If there was anyone that had any reason to be terrified and reluctant and resistant to go to Jerusalem, it would have been Jesus at this point in time. Yet in the midst of knowing what awaited him in the near future, suffering and death, like no human being would ever experience, it says that Jesus himself In the hour the seventy came back, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Are you aware that nowhere else in the New Testament, nowhere else is it said that Jesus rejoiced? This is the only time. And the word rejoice, which our our text translates rejoiced greatly, is a very strong word here. It denotes exceptional rejoicing with exceptional praise. So in the midst of the darkest moment of his life, he was rejoicing greatly. Now what I want us to look at for the rest of our time today is what made Jesus so joyful on his way to Jerusalem to die. What was it that caused this exuberant joy to be experienced in the Lord Jesus Christ even in the face of death? And in our text, I think there are five things, five motives for this rejoicing in Jesus. And the first is obvious. It says in the same hour that the 70 came back, rejoicing in the success of their mission, Jesus rejoiced in that success as well. He loves to see his word go forth. He loves to see his words preached with power. 
He loves to see people respond to that word positively. He loves to see evil pushed back and conquered. He rejoiced at the success of this world mission, of this evangelistic endeavor, of the success of the preaching of the Word of God. Whenever the Word of God is preached with power anywhere by anyone, He loves it and He rejoices in it. When he sees it do its work in congregations and families and individual lives, he loves it. And it makes him rejoice. The first thing that made Jesus rejoice was the success of this preaching mission. The second thing that made Jesus so joyful at this moment, obviously closer related to the first and growing out of the first, was the salvation of sinners. He loves to see sinners saved. He loves to see sinners rescued from evil and death and from the consequences of their evil behavior. It says in verse 21 that he rejoiced that God revealed these things to sinners. That's what made him happy. That's what thrilled him through and through. God had revealed these things to sinners, and as a result, sinners' lives were transformed. And what were these things that God revealed to sinners? The truth of the gospel of his kingdom that he had just been talking about. The truth of the gospel of peace. The truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and his suffering and his death and his resurrection and his ascension under the right hand of God. And that these things were believed by people. God enabled people to realize that all of the saving power of the kingdom of God was present that Jesus Christ died on the cross to make peace with God for us who were once His enemies. And then we receive Him by faith and we become members of that kingdom. We experience all the benefits and all the blessings of His death. Jesus loves to see the salvation of sinners. He's 100% devoted to the salvation of sinners who don't deserve to be saved and who can't save themselves and who deserve to be condemned throughout all eternity. Do you remember what Luke's theme is? Remember, Luke is an evangelist through and through. Luke loved to preach the gospel, doctor that he was. The theme of the book of Luke that is addressed to the pagans around the Jewish world is, Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. So Jesus is devoted to saving sinners and he rejoices when he sees someone turn from his sin to him and sees the transformation of his life. Why? Because God rejoices in the salvation of sinners. God loves it when he sees people repent of their sins and believe in his son. Later on in Luke it says, There is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. repents." Joy in heaven means that there's joy in God. There's a happiness in God when He sees people on the way to hell turn around and in repentance and faith have their sins forgiven, be restored to life, and enter the kingdom of God. Hebrews 12.1 talks about the Christian life being a race. And in any race, you can't take your eyes off the goal of that race because if you do, you'll slow down. You'll get sidetracked and people will pass you by. So in verse 2 it says, In this race of life, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy 
that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. The cross was a shameful thing for Jesus. No one has ever experienced the shame that Jesus experienced when he died on the cross. Why? Because no one else has lived an impeccably pure life. No one else has ever lived a sinless life but Jesus. And on that cross, he was covered by what he hates the most, and that is sin. And God, the Father, turned his back on Jesus on the cross. It was a shameful thing for Jesus. And yet in the midst of that shame, Jesus experienced joy as he suffered on that cross for you and I. And remember, the worst part of the suffering that he endured was not what man had inflicted upon him. It was what God had inflicted upon him. It was the pouring out of God's wrath and the condemnation that our sins deserve that Jesus experienced in his heart and in his soul. Yet in the midst of it all, he experienced joy. Why? Because he knew that that was what he was doing would lead to the salvation of sinners, and he loves to save sinners. And if you are a sinner here today, and you have never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I call on you to receive him now. Turn from whatever kind of life you're living. Right now, quit trusting in yourself. Believe that whatever the Bible says about Jesus is true, and pray that He will be that to you this very, very moment. Receive Him as He offers Himself and see if Jesus doesn't love to save sinners. Isaiah 53 verse 11 says, and this is an amazing verse, as a result of the anguish of His soul, He will see it and be satisfied. Or to put it another way, he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Think of the travail of the labor that women have to go through to give birth, sometimes for hours. All of that anguish to bring a new life into this world. And yet when she's holding that child in her arms, she's thinking she would do it again. As she went through that travail, why? For the joy that was in her. She knew that this travail would lead to birth. It would lead to life. And the Bible says he would suffer the travail of his soul. The anguish, the labor that he went through on the cross. Because it would bring about the salvation of God's people. Their new birth. So even on the cross in the midst of travail. Like no woman has ever experienced it. Jesus experienced joy. Because he rejoices over the salvation of people who don't deserve to be saved. And then there's a third thing that causes Jesus joy. And that is the sovereignty of God's grace in the salvation of sinners. Jesus not only loves to save, see sinners saved. Jesus rejoices over the fact that God saves sinners in a sovereign way by His sovereign grace. Remember what Luke 10, 21 says? He says, I praise Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that Thou didst hide these things. He said, oh, I love this. It makes me so happy. 
I rejoice that thou, Father, didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to babes. That caused him great joy. Down in verse 22, he says, No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. He loves it that salvation is based on the sovereign grace and sovereign will of Almighty God. Jesus rejoiced in the fact that God, His Father in heaven, in His wisdom and grace and mercy and sovereignty and power, had so preordained things that insight is given into the redeemed truths of the kingdom of God, not to those who are self-exalted and wise in their own self-esteem, but to those who in childlike simplicity and humility feel their utter dependence on the Lord Jesus and accept without any intellectual arrogance the truths revealed by God through Him. Now let me ask you a question. Why in the world would Jesus rejoice that God hid the truth of the gospel from some people, thus sealing their eternal damnation? Beloved, that's what we're talking about when we talk about salvation being based on the sovereign grace of God. And that is what Jesus is rejoicing in here. That God has held back from revealing the truths of salvation to some people. Now why would he rejoice over something like that? Well, his attitude will be a little more understandable when you consider the nature of those people for whom God hid the truth and to whom God revealed the truth. It says in our text that he reveals the truth of the gospel to babes, little children. Now, what is the prime characteristic of a little baby? A brand new born baby like Knox and Nehemiah and little baby Arazo. What is the first thing you think of when you think of a little teeny newborn baby? Well, it should be total helplessness. I mean, it can't do a thing for itself. It has to be cared for every second of its life. And there it's, here it says that Jesus rejoices in the fact that God reveals the truth of the gospel and in revealing the truth saves little babes. That is those who have the mindset of a little baby who recognize their complete helplessness to deliver themselves from the judgment of God who understand that they are totally dependent upon Jesus Christ and upon the mercy of God for salvation and to trust in Christ alone for that salvation and for the living of a life of gratitude and joy and freedom and holiness. They understand that there is absolutely nothing in themselves that they can trust in, that there's no basis for self-confidence, no basis for self-righteousness, no basis for high self-esteem. They're little babies. And it is to those who have the mindset of a little baby with his understanding of helplessness and dependence and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that God reveals in a saving way the truths of the gospel. One Lutheran commentator said this, What a marvel that the eternal Father and the eternal Son with the Spirit to whom all heaven and earth bow in submission could condescend to people who are nothing but helpless little babies. Do you know the truth, beloved? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Have the truths of the gospel been revealed to you in such a way that they consume you and have transformed your life? Well, if it has, don't ever get over that and stand in amazement. Why, Lord? I mean, we are helpless little nothings before God, and we deserve God's displeasure. Yet God in His sovereignty has seen fit to reveal the truths of the gospel in such a way that it transforms us into helpless, totally dependent people who deserve His condemnation. But on the other hand, it says clearly that He hides the truth of the gospel from some people. You can't get away from that passage, beloved. If He hides the truth of the gospel from some people, it means they will never believe it. They will never embrace it. That person will never be saved. And who is it that he hides the truth from? He hides the truth from the wise and the intelligent. Now make sure you understand what the contrast is here. The contrast is not between the educated and the non-educated. He's not saying, I hid the truth from the educated and have revealed it to the uneducated. Nor is the contrast between the intellectual and the simple-minded. He's not saying that God has hidden the truth from people with high IQs and that has, He has revealed the truth to the simple-minded and naive. That's not the issue here. The contrast is between people with a self-sufficient high view of themselves and those who have a childlike attitude of dependence and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The wise and intelligent are those people who are wise in their own eyes. They see themselves as the final arbiters of truth. They see themselves as the modern humanist. You know, those who say, I determine right and wrong for myself, good and evil, truth and falsehood. All I need is my experience and my reason. I don't need any book of absolutes. I don't need any fundamentalist religion like Christianity. All I need is myself, my ingenuity, my reason, my experience, my senses. And I can get through this life and figure it out and reach the goals that I have set for myself. That is the wise and the intelligent that Jesus speaks of here. The person who takes great pride and confidence in himself and his ability to get along in this world all by himself. And Jesus says here, Lord, I praise you. I love it. I rejoice in the fact that you hide the truth from those who are wise in their own eyes. And now, beloved, you know why some people think you are such a fool for the things that you believe. Six days it took to create the world out of nothing 6,000 years ago. Jesus arose from the dead bodily. He healed the sick and raised the dead. You actually believe in a devil? I thought that was just a medieval myth. You poor little ignoramus Christian. Now you know why they have that attitude. God has hidden the truth from them. Why do you believe God's word? Because you're smarter than those who have PhDs? No, he's probably a lot smarter than you. But it is for only one reason. God has sovereignly and graciously revealed the truth to you. 
That is the only reason you believe the truth. That is the only reason you believe the Bible. That's the only reason you believe in Jesus. It's not because you figured it all out. It's not because you have a great intellect. It's because sometime in your life, a sovereign God revealed the truth of the gospel to your heart and saved you and gave you the gift of faith. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 